We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Daryl Williams to the Arizona Cardinals and a bunch of other stuff like that. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen. Find my newsletter at bengretchen.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at rotoviz.com, at Rotoviz Radio. And Sean, it's our normal recording day for the first recording of the week. It's a Tuesday. We messaged each other today, and we're kind of like, mm, we don't really need to record today because we did those extra shows doing a best ball super flex draft but this is you know th- this was sort of my idea of what today's show should be instead we we kind of decided it is tuesday though we want to talk to each other we always enjoyed chatting and so we jumped on i said why don't we jump on and talk about stuff that really tests whether our listeners care at all about the the inane things that we would talk about if we could i in particular want to talk a lot about Daryl Williams signing with the Arizona Cardinals. The immediate reaction seemed to be that with Daryl Williams out of the picture, and because Ronald Jones cannot play on passing downs, it is physically impossible. He is incapable of even entering the field if the play is a passing play. That Clyde Edwards Alaire will finally get all of the passing down work. And Ron Jones will split work on early downs. And I think there's some validity to that. Certainly, I'm not trying to you know completely balk the idea. I think Clyde Edwards Alaire is an interesting, you know, you know, the, just the fact that they don't have Daryl Williams to put out there for a bunch of snaps on passing downs means that yes, Clyde Edwards Alaire, the thesis that we've been trying to build up for the last couple of years. You and I were on it last year. We took Clyde Edwards Alaire in at least one spot, I think because there was this potential for the the high-value touches that, you know, at his now reduced price, that is still possible that he catches a lot of balls and is good in this offense. But my immediate response is everybody's going to kind of flood to that and get really excited about Clyde Edwards-Alaire because he's going to suddenly catch all these passes. But like, why hasn't he done it the last two years? Like, Daryl Williams has been keeping him off the field. Has he, though, or is it just that he is never really healthy? he wasn't able to really grab hold of these high value touches. The article I wrote before last season talked about how, even though Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes haven't used their running backs in the same way that Reed was using LaShawn McCoy, Brian Westbrook, Westbrook, obviously the guy they comped him to when he came out of college, that 
there was still a dynamic in place where the way the touches were working out, if Edwards Alaire became the back who more or less played when they did use the running back, then he would be fine. The problem that we ran into is that, you know, he just doesn't stay healthy. I mean, you look at the first four weeks last season, he plays 63% of the snaps. He gets nine targets. Daryl Williams gets five. As you kind of move through the season, he goes through this time period where he's injured and Williams has some good games in that stretch. But the back who was really a difference maker was not either one of those guys, right? You have Edwards Allaire then getting hurt in week five, comes back in week 11. He plays over the last month, but probably isn't really healthy. So, you know, again, we we don't know what he would look like. He had the 19 point per game average across weeks three and four. Obviously that's just picking out the couple of good games that he played there before he got hurt. But I mean, the back who is relevant to these two guys here in terms of Clyde Edwards, Alaire and Ronald and Ronald Jones is Jarrett McKinnon. And I mean, the chiefs very obviously targeted Ronald Jones because none of their backups and just none of their players in general at running back were explosive enough to make this offense work. It's part of the thing that they've done with all of their moves this offseason, where they don't want the defenses to be able to play them the way they did last year. And one of the elements of that is that when you have these really soft fronts, your running back has to be able to run through the line and gain yards. And it, it seems like there's this possibility that McKinnon would still be a part of this. But the point that I think that you want to bring up is what if Ronald Jones is schemed some passing plays where he actually is the target? He can show off that explosiveness. He doesn't need to block. I mean, one of the things that you read about last season with the Buccaneers is that he blew some key pass blocking responsibilities. He essentially gets benched because Tom Brady doesn't want to deal with that. I can understand that from a quarterback perspective, especially as a 40 plus year old. I don't necessarily think that Patrick Mahomes would have that same type of response. I don't think that the way the plays are schemed is going to require the same thing from Ronald Jones. And I do think that those guys want the running backs to do things for them in a situation where you could have Jones show off this explosiveness. So if you have some plays early in the season where he goes for 30, 40 yards, if he demonstrates what he did during the time that he was in Tampa Bay, he has this thousand yard season right where he is a plus inside runner and has a little bit of that jamal charles to him where there's not a hole there but he can make it through for four or five yards but then also has that jamal charles element where when he does get to the secondary you have the potential for a long run i mean are we saying that they don't want to get that out on the edge because the chiefs are among the league leaders in trying to get their guys in space but also innovating in a way where they actually do it where with a lot of teams you just hear the coaches kind of talk about that i mean everything you just said is sort of what i was thinking but as i was hearing you know i was obviously being facetious at the beginning of the show with a few different points i was i was saying that uh, as well with saying that daryl williams was keeping ch off the off the field i guess the the crux of this discussion gets down to whether you care about talent at running back because Sean, in our discussions, I think we tend to care about it more than a lot of people that are playing fantasy football. I, I think you do, and I think you've, you've kind of pulled me along. With that, there's a lot of people that are just worried about the touches and where are the touches going. And there is that element of can the player do things with the ball? 
And then if they can do things, when we talk about the chaos of an NFL season, when we talk about, you know, drafting running backs with this anti-fragile mindset, the, the skill element comes into play a lot because what you were just describing is the scenario with Ronald Jones. We're like, if he's able to hit on some big plays early in the year, the way that that plays out, the way that Andy Reid does things, and, and you just hit on this as well, but the way that plays out is Andy Reid starts scheming him more touches. Like they've done a lot with the screen game over the years. Andy Reid is very aware of, of, you know, what that can bring even if they think Jones has all these limitations in the passing game, and he clearly does, first of all, it's not just that he can't block. He looks like he's got two left feet when he's just running a five-yard you know, route to get a dump-off pass. I mean, even in, in the screen game, he looks like he's a baby giraffe learning to walk. Like, it's weird. His legs don't move like they should. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. But Jones is a guy who well, really And he likes. also doesn't get his hands up very well on those short passes. In the different, I mean, Tom Brady is unreal at the thing that matters most as an NFL quarterback, which is reading the defense and then taking the right option within the scheme that you have, especially if you have multiple options, he's unbelievable, right? He doesn't throw that catchable a pass. And, you know, for years we saw that with Julian Edelman and all those drops. It's like, Julian, you got to catch some of those balls. But I mean, he would also be like, I mean, not to put it all on Tom Brady, but they're not, always that catchable right the nose is going down they're at the ground the short passes are hard that did not work for ronald jones when he's trying to catch either the screen or these dump off types of passes when brady was in trouble i mean patrick mahomes throws a more catchable ball so the fact that ronald jones really struggles to get his hands up and they're not soft hands i mean is that a problem still yes but is it going to be the same kind of problem i don't know maybe we're just dreaming but i don't think so yeah hopefully not but when we get back to this player skill discussion, so what what I was kind of joking about with the Daryl Williams comment that he's keeping CEH off the field, and you make a good point that CEH has not really been healthy, but I guess I'm at the point where I just don't think CEH is special. And you were kind of alluding to this by saying they didn't, you know, the Chiefs didn't really have a player that could make explosive plays last year. But in my mind, at running back, you're either special or you're not. You know, you're either a game breaker or you're not. You're either just a guy in this part of this mass of running backs that leads to the types of analyses that are very valid that, that argue that running backs, you know, don't matter or, or are interchangeable. There are some backs though, that obviously challenge that notion and are why that becomes such a, you know, a a heavily discussed topic. You know, you think about a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who we talked about a lot last year when we were talking about the chiefs, what if the chiefs had taken, Jonathan Taylor over Clyde Edwards later. Sean still wakes up in a cold sweat at 3 a.m. most nights thinking about this. Certainly, Jonathan Taylor would have helped a lot of their issues when defenses went into the heavy cover two shell last year. And, and we're asking the Chiefs to run. If you have a Jonathan Taylor type talent at running back, that solves a lot of those problems, right? I mean, that would have been pretty nice for the Chiefs during the season last year. But again, you get back to why did they bring in Ronald Jones? And I think it's for that reason. They're, and why did they get rid of Tyreek Hill, right? It's And we talked about this on the show. You talked about how that might make their offense better because now they're going to have more depth of talent in each route, four guys that can get open and more things for the defense to have to worry about rather than just scheming for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They seem aware of the things that limited them from what the defenses were doing to them. Then you go bring in a guy like Ronald Jones, who for all of his warts, and he has plenty, and, and especially the fantasy community will be quick to point them all out, 
he is an explosive runner. He's a good running back. The Daryl Williams thing is just a fun launching off point for this, but to the extent that people are now going to respond and say, Ronald Jones can't play on passing down. So CEH is now ticketed for these passing down snaps. Those are the high value touches. That's fantastic. Ronald Jones is going to mix in on early downs. That's sort of the notion that I wanted to challenge when I was kind of talking to you before the show is, and and you put it really well, is that if Ronald Jones comes in and he's just a more electric running back and he's making big plays on, you know, on the ground running the ball, they'll probably start with that sort of general playing time allotment because Ronald Jones, is it's known, right, that he's not particularly good at, in passing downs. Obviously, they know what they got and, and how Tampa used him is going to influence it. But if they're using him on early down some and he's looking a lot more explosive than CEH, maybe not even in week one, but by like week five, if we're talking about Ron Jones having, you know, 4.5, 4.8 yards per carry, has a couple long runs, and CEH is still sitting here at 3.9, 4.0. I mean, I think CEH has been a reasonably efficient runner actually to this point in his career, but let's just say whatever, wherever they're at in terms of, and yards per carry doesn't matter, but it does matter to teams. This is the only point I'm trying to make here. Ronald Jones is doing more with the touches he's getting than CEH is. And CEH, who actually has not been particularly efficient in the passing game, isn't doing much with his passing touches. The very natural thing by about week five, week six, will be what we what we were talking about, what we described, that, okay, well, our better running back is now going, that's the guy we're going to scheme some screens to and let him play. I mean, there's, there's scenarios where Ron Jones just starts to play more in all facets. And then when you talk about it from like a projection standpoint, you think about it from a fantasy football standpoint, okay, how do I allocate all the targets and all the receptions in this backfield? Ron Jones might end up getting more than people are thinking because the immediate thought is like he can't play on passing downs, but it wouldn't be that surprising if he actually winds up catching a decent chunk of balls. The scheme touches like we're talking about because he just looks like the better back on, you know, on the early downs and is sort of forcing himself into we need to get him the ball in space, like you said. And so that's the way that like, sort of the chaos of the season and everything could play out. That was my immediate thought was, if everyone's going to say that this doesn't mean anything for Ronald Jones, but it does mean something for CEH, now I have to have an outlandish Ronald Jones opinion again, <laughs> that he's going to catch like 30 balls, which is probably never going to happen. Well, again, we talk about the explosiveness and the yards per carry and, and that type of element, if you want to break it down to the next level. In 2020, Jones was among the lead leaders in yards after contact per attempt now some of that is because of breaking some big plays so if you get a touch and then you go for you know 50 60 yards it's going to kind of manipulate those stats we're not expecting ronald jones to actually be a big time tackle breaker but it's that combination of breaking some tackles evading some tackles and then creating the long runs which we know that he can do. And it's the perfect fit again for this offense where you know they're going to be facing soft fronts. It's, so it's it's a good fit and it's more important here. But coming back to the fantasy football point, I mean, both of these guys are fantastic picks, right? They're both extremely inexpensive and we have absolutely no idea how it's going to play out. I mean, I think the most likely thing to start is that they try and make Edwards Allaire, the bell cow. I mean, I think he's going to be the early down back. I think he's going to get plenty of touches around the goal line. I think he's going to be schemed a lot of these receptions that McKinnon was so dynamic with at the end of last season. And they're going to say, we can make him into that back that we've been dreaming of. Now he's experienced. He's still a fairly young guy. All we need him to do is stay healthy and for this offense to function slightly differently than it has the last two years. And he can be an absolute star. 
right? So from that perspective, anybody who wants to draft Edwards Alaire at his price, I have no problem with that at all. I don't either. To be the clear. flip side of it is that, you know, by a couple of weeks into the season, it could be almost all Ronald Jones. And so one of the things that you love about the price is that if this ends up being a committee, they're both going to more or less pay off for you. If this ends up being a situation where one guy gets hurt, the player who is healthy is going to pay off for you. If it becomes a situation where one guy emerges, that guy is going to pay off for you. And, you know, if you're playing any volume of league what's, leagues whatsoever, then you can get a decent amount of both and in at least you know half of your leagues or maybe you're not getting a 100 exposure to a chiefs back every league but i mean it's gonna it's gonna pay off right and it's also not even gonna hurt you that much on the leagues where it doesn't pay off and so i think that you want to have exposure to those two guys another situation that has a ton of differences in the specifics but has some similarities that are very important from a very general perspective would be the buffalo bills where just like last season where we said take devin singletary and zach moss and it worked out on those singletary teams especially if you were still alive late in the season and we're right back in that situation again now where singletary and cook are both just so cheap i mean we're talking about the two best offenses in football and you can draft their running backs for peanuts and that's absolutely perfect yeah it's great and i completely agree with the the idea to take both i'm kind of doing the thing where i'm getting like two steps ahead of myself where i'm anticipating you know, some of the response, meaning that C, we're going to see CH's price get driven up a little bit here because people are going to respond to Daryl Hunt or Daryl Williams being gone now as a positive for CEH. And then suddenly he's going to start to creep up. And if I, most of my commentary is if that starts to happen and we get like a, a, you know, a three, four, five round gap in ADP, then Ronald Jones is going to be a really nice pick relative to CEH. Probably still both be fine. I mean, I'm with you. Like, I, 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 I don't think it's wrong to be excited about CEH either. I think they're both great options. The flip side of this huge free agent move, Daryl Williams to the Cardinals, is that it's not probably great news for our boy Edo Benjamin. Is is there anything though that really could be negative news for Eno Benjamin? All you have to do is go out there and show you're the best of a pretty underwhelming group of players. One of the things that we have here for the Cardinals is they have to have a variety of guys because James Conner is not a back who has the health background that you would expect him to be able to hold up under the workload that you know they're going to be tempted to give him because during the time period where he does hold up, it's very exciting to see him play that way. And so then you have to have some backups. And this is very good planning from a football perspective, right? The reality look at this is that we want to have a number of backs who could potentially do you know, what we need to see. And yeah, it's not good for Eno because they have had a couple of years to watch him. So we don't love the fact that even with that being the case that they go out and add these other players. But I mean, Williams is your prototypical third or fourth string running back and he's higher profile because he got some favorable situations with Kansas City who's an electric offense and an offense that is facing soft boxes but you go and you look at his stats I mean this is a guy who with the Kansas City Chiefs averaged less than four yards per carry he averaged 1.7 yards after contact per attempt he has a seven percent evasion rate but this is a guy who's a very borderline NFL player 
right? And I don't say that in a nasty or derogatory way because if you're someone who is not expected to play in the NFL and you fight your way through and you're a borderline talent and you make it and you create a career for yourself, I mean, that's an underdog success story. That's not something to be, you know, turning up your nose at or saying, oh, you know, this guy is terrible. But it is the case where he's not someone who necessarily changes a backfield purely from his own talent. Definitely. Uh, It's just a, you know, a head coach comfortability thing, I think, with him. It it is kind of hilarious because he's not particularly good. But dropping him into any situation, if there's an injury to James Conner, there's going to be this thing that's, well, Darrell Williams is that that veteran. He's the mentor again. He, he's the mentor again in a new in a new offense. Do you have a Do you have a pick? I mean, it seems like you're you're heading towards a pick between Williams and Ingram and Eno Benjamin here. Well, one thing I wanted to say about Eno that I think is getting missed, and I made this point last year, and I'm going to make it again, and it's not a good point, but I'm going to still keep making it. Is he was a seventh round pick? He hasn't got a lot of work. But he's still on the team after two years. And I don't think that's nothing when you're a seventh-round running back. That's sort of a you know a pretty clear flyer pick. A lot of those types of guys are not with the same team a couple of years later. Eno you know, has stuck around enough to the extent that I'm not saying the team likes him, but we're seeing it. Like I, I think the, the fans community is seeing it as a very, very much a negative that they haven't really used him a lot yet. Like they don't like him. And I just want to kind of reiterate, like, this dude was drafted in the seventh round. And just the fact that he's still on the roster is sort of evidence that they do like him. There are a lot of seventh round picks that get cut before their rookie season. They don't even make the initial roster. I saw that as as an argument in favor of Keontae Ingram, who was a sixth round pick this year. And I think my argument would be that Ingram is potentially more likely to be cut than Eno. Or, I mean, just essentially because a six round pick can show up out of shape or can show up and not be what they think they were drafting. They haven't seen him yet in their practices necessarily. Um, They're obviously doing rookie camps now. I haven't been reading a whole lot about that, but Eno is a guy who has been around for a couple of years and stuck because he's doing something behind the scenes. Right. And so, I mean, this is a very ridiculous point to be making, but my point is essentially that, we're viewing it as this big negative that Eno hasn't got his opportunity yet, but the fact that he's still on their roster is is actually sort of something. It definitely is. And if you go into this offseason and you're Eno Benjamin and the additions that the Arizona Cardinals make at your position are a sixth-round pick in Daryl Williams, I mean, is it is it possible to get any better than that? I mean, it's just an NFL team. You're not going to go empty at the running back position, there were going to be names to fill those slots, right? I mean, you could be getting hit with Sony Michelle right here who had a good season last year. And as a former first round pick, a big guy, you know, Michelle, not a star either by any stretch of the imagination, but probably someone who, and not that people are saying this is not the case, but just, you know, looking at how these backfields are being affected by recent signees, if you're Chase Edmonds or Raheem Mostert, you know certainly Miles Gaskin, you don't really want Michelle being thrown in there. Williams probably doesn't change that dynamic for Ingram, for example, who, you know, being mentioned as this year's possible Chase Edmonds after, as you mentioned, these these rookie camps. Yeah, we don't expect that to happen. I mean, maybe it will. 
It could happen, I guess. The addition of Daryl Williams probably doesn't speak particularly positively about that. It, it doesn't speak positively about you know either. You were you were saying I I might make a pick. I I mean, the really lazy thing is to to not want to draft any of them. The next level thing would be again, who do you think is the best player? What do you get if it pays off? If your bet pays off, I mean, what do you get if Daryl Williams winds up being the guy? He had some good games for KC last year. If James Conner gets hurt and Daryl Williams does consolidate a lot of the backfield, I mean, you get like an RB2, maybe, if you're lucky. <laughs> I mean, you get sort of what the offense gives you. I think that's sort of the case with Keontae Ingram as well. With Eno, there's at least this faint sliver of hope in his profile that you you get more than that. And so at least that's the way I look at it. So that's why I would if I had to pick would, would still be on, Eno because it would be if, okay, if Connor's out of the picture, who's the guy that actually has the most upside. And I think it has to be, Eno. I think that he's likely to lead a committee. If Connor gets hurt, it seems like the way that they're building this out probably makes it difficult for him to be as fantasy relevant as he would need from Williams perspective. This is absolutely perfect because there aren't going to be a lot of spots where you have an injury prone starter and, no established back behind in an explosive offense. So you have to love that for him. I think that even though it's a late round pick, I'm almost tempted to take the rookie just because in some of these cases where we know the least about what's likely to happen, it's actually that uncertainty that can play a little bit more in our favor. Williams and Benjamin have been in the NFL. The chances that they explode for a running back five season, for example, probably not great but we have seen players emerge later so all three of these guys you like the uncertainty but all three of them this the floor is so low that when you're talking about 18 and 20 roster spot leagues which is mostly what's being drafted right now i mean like you said i mean it's tricky to draft any of them that was a good point on ingram i mean i was making the argument that he's sort of the most likely to get cut because you don't know what you're getting out of him but he's also probably to your point the most likely to actually be something that flashes in a way that, you know, didn't show up in his profile or whatever, but, but catches Arizona's eye, you know, has had two years and has obviously not caught their eye too much. He's caught it enough to stay on the roster. I want to give him credit for that. Sean, you wrote uh, an article. Another thing we were thinking about talking about was our, our Superflex draft. You wrote an article about it. I think you were sort of explaining it to me as if when you went to write it up or why you went to write it up, or the more you think about this super flex draft that we had a lot of fun with, hopefully the listeners had a lot of fun with that. You're starting to like the team more, which was not the, the, the direction I thought that this would go because I, I'm going to need you to explain to me why, why I should like the team, but we did a super flex draft and we more or less don't have any quarterbacks. We wound up taking four. We wound up taking Geno Smith late. What did you find when you were writing it up? And what are your, uh, you know, you said you had uh, kind of some additional thoughts from this draft. Well, we had played around with the FFPC roster construction explorer before we started. And we knew that the two QBs early was a successful approach. That's pretty straightforward. All the star QBs are going in those early rounds. You need to have contributions from the two quarterbacks in Superflex in this particular format you essentially lose a starting 
spot from the rest of the players, which is easy to forget about, right? That super flex position is not an additional position. It takes out one of the flexes. And so that knocks us down a little bit in terms of what we actually need at the other spots. And that's one of the reasons that this comment that you made about taking a lot of quarterbacks late, especially now the two rounds have been added back in, I think is an interesting comment. When you go and look, and one of the things here, I, Ben, you know I love this team right from the beginning because number one, it was fun, and number two, it's unusual, and number three, we draft a lot of fun players. And so, I mean, I'm always going to be in on a team like that. But as we were going through it, one of the things I mentioned to you, and we were really joking about it on the show, was that if you go down into the not just small and not just tiny, but minuscule sample sizes, you find the teams that were drafted similarly had been very successful. One of the things that I wanted to do in the article was flesh that out a little bit more. I focused specifically on our first eight picks, so it's still a little bit of a surprise to readers you know, anybody who doesn't listen to Ceiling Bananas, which obviously would be, well, we'll say it's a mistake on their part, <laughs> but they don't know that we actually then did get Marcus Mariota in round nine. But focusing on this initial portion, you can actually go and look at the Superflex Classic to see, well, did it work to wait at QB and to take more QBs? And the reason I say you can kind of go look there is that that format is going to be more favorable for our approach and so if there's a format that's more favorable for what we did and you go and look and find out that it doesn't work there, then, you know, you're going to be a little bit disappointed that you approached it that way. But now, especially that the two rounds have been added, if you remove sort of the kicker defense tactics from the classic, you're going to have a format that starts to really converge with the slim best ball tournament. Long story short, if you do what we did, you take that one QB relatively early, you get sort of a guy that you can count on and whether or not Justin Fields is that guy is a topic of another conversation. But then you wait until after the eighth round, you actually come back with a win rate of 10% and the highest average score of the variety of QB builds that people would generally do, right? So that doesn't conclusively answer the question, but especially given the fact that Mariota has this scenario where he could come through. I think for me, that's the key, right? When you're drafting in this range, and the other kind of big takeaway from the article is essentially that one of the reasons why you need to take the QBs early in Superflex is that it's Superflex, but the other reason you need to take them early is that it really follows the same basic concept that we see in other best ball leagues which is that you need to take your qbs in the window as soon as you move out of the early rounds in a super flex then you're out of that window once you're out of the window you have to wait and then gamble on a contingency based play as opposed to simply taking a bad quarterback who's going to start and i like the fact that we ended up with Mariota and then subsequently kenny pickett and then i don't know how excited we could be about Gino smith but Either at the time that we were actually doing the draft or right afterward, there was news suggesting that Gino is in front in this race. I had said that I thought that he was. I had read that uh, several weeks ago. Then there had been these comments about, no, Drew Locke is a, a better fit for the offense. He's more mobile. And I'm thinking, I just, there are no comparisons between Russell Wilson and Drew Locke for me. So there's nothing like you're going to be able to run the offense more in a more similar fashion because you have Drew Locke as opposed to Gino Smith. That's just simply. I mean, it's just simply not true or relevant. 
But so we get this news that Geno Smith may be out in front. Also, still, I mean, Baker Baker Mayfield is going to be the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. So I guess that part of it bums me out a little bit about the 19th round pick. But big picture, thoughts on that? I mean, I think there is room for enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, I I love the way you just laid out that once you get through sort of the, the target window for this position, it's true at a variety of positions, a variety of different points in drafts, those things can change year over year, but they are similar for the most part. We, you know, we were joking on the show and, and you use it in your article, this idea of we were sort of into the QB dead zone at a certain point, but then, you know, we can obviously talk about the running back dead zone, similar to how the quarterbacks are going to play out in Superflex, where there's a lot of quarterbacks going early. And then once you get out of basically like the third round, you're kind of screwed. There's no quarterback. And and then the worst thing you can do is take a quarterback that is tiers below the guys that already went and chase that, chase those points that you're not going to be able to match with whoever you take. I mean, we may have already done that with Justin Fields in the late third with the way that the Bears offense looks as much as I love Justin Fields. But when you, I mean, that is, that's just a broad lesson that I think is super applicable across positions, across various formats, no matter what type of league you're playing, what have you. It is clear when you're drafting, anyone who's done any number of fantasy drafts understands this. It's clear when you're in a window where there's a lot of good options at a certain position And it's clear when you see like a run start to go and that window starts to close and you get that question when you're on the clock of, should I chase this? Do I think this player is still in that window? And and sometimes you can make a positive case that player is still in that window and you're getting into the, you know, the end of that run. Maybe it makes sense. Other times it's pretty clear that the player is not in that window, but you still feel that temptation that if I don't take this player here, there's nothing else behind them. And it's the best that I can do at this point. And what you just laid out was, how much smarter it is then to wait and to keep waiting and then to find contingency-based plays if you have to. Yes, the probability that Marcus Mariota, Kenny Pickett, and Geno Smith are going to solve our quarterback questions is very low. But at least we continued in those earlier picks to build enough firepower and upside at running back, receiver, and tight end that if that really low probability outcome hits, we still have a roster that can win. It, it can only win if we can get competent quarterback points, but that was going to be the case regardless. And you can lose the draft there by chasing quarterbacks into the fifth and sixth round. You can lose your drafts by chasing running backs into the running back dead zone. Most years it's, it's shifting a little bit this year, obviously. And we've talked about that. You can lose your draft trying to think that you're going to solve the wide receiver depth equation with a bunch of 12th and 13th and 14th round wide receivers and not understanding that wide receiver isn't actually a deep position, Right tight end a lot of years it's been similar where you have some elite names at the top and then that next group of tight ends sort of get pulled up because drafters don't want to wait four or five rounds before they take the tight end four or the tight end five or the tight end six and so you get these guys pushed up and then they wind up in a range where probably they're not on their own merits worth that pick they don't have enough of an upside case to be a differentiator at the tight end position we're driven by the search for better But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We see this in all positions, and I don't know. I just thought that was a really, probably the most crucial thing you said in that entire point, which there was a lot of really good specific stuff about this team, but I think that is so universal to any kind of drafting. Fantasy football, any other fantasy sports, any kind of draft you might do, when you get that temptation and you you know it, like you, you're you're like, you know, the kid with a hand in the cookie jar where you're like, I'm doing something that doesn't make sense. I still see people send me drafts and be like, I know I wasn't supposed to do this, but it made sense here. And here's why. And like people love to say that. It's like, well, no, you knew you weren't supposed to do it. And one of the things you should realize is it's a it's typically better to understand that feeling is there for a reason. And keep pushing that. And even though you think that there's not going to be another quarterback that's going to be available to you, taking some random upside swing late is better than than playing into, you know, really poor value in the fifth round when you draft Davis Mills or whoever we could have drafted in the fifth round, you know. And so the other thing that allowed us to do was to take Christian McCaffrey. And he was a player we had wanted last season when we were getting these, you know, 110, 111. That actually was very fortunate for us we got lucky we missed all of those injured shares but now we have a player who can score just an insane number of points to start out this build which again is in a tournament and one of the fun things about this tournament is it has 4752 entries so it's kind of an intimate tournament to where if some of these scenarios that we've talked about play out within the context of the other players when you're talking about not just winning your league but feeling like you at least have a shot to see your name on you know that final 10 leaderboard as we head toward the end of the season we have christian mccaffrey we selected jamar chase then we got darren waller ben we had your favorite player there and aj brown we selected Jalen waddle jk dobbins ken walker one of the other things i really like about this draft within this format that essentially loses a starting position and then there may be weeks where we're playing a non-QB in the Superflex. So maybe we not need to not talk about losing a starting position on our particular team, but we have that foundation tight end. We have that foundation running back. We know that in FFPC leagues, those things are helpful. We have the wide receiver depth and firepower that we're looking for. I mean, it's sort of inevitable if you fade QB in a super flex draft that you're going to look at the rest of your team and say, oh, I like the rest of my team, but we do like the rest of our team here. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's going to be inevitable. You get a lot more opportunity. I mean, this is one of the fun things about super flex when quarterbacks are actually going in large numbers, you know, throughout the draft. Uh, it's a, it's the other reason that tight end premium is, is such a 
enticing format. People get caught up in, you know, why are we giving extra points for a tight end just catching a pass? It's like, well, I mean, we're playing a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're playing a stupid game about a game. And what, what that means for the strategy of the game is that tight ends are now going to go higher. And when tight ends go higher, that means that you're going to get fewer running back and receiver picks between each of your picks. And especially when you're sitting at 111 like we were, because uh, we love to pick at the end of a round, you get this element where you actually get to pick players that you like instead of having 20 picks between your picks and the inevitability that you're either after overdraft the guy by 15 picks or he's definitely going to go. Sometimes that guy makes it all the way back to you in these types of formats. So it's, it's a lot more fun when there's balance across a lot of different positions. And we did, you know, have more optionality across various positions at each of our picks and, and in choosing not to take quarterback. Yeah. Naturally you're going to be very deep at receiver. We're taking AJ Brown in the fifth round. I mean, anytime you can do that, you're going to win your league. And so speaking of winning your league, Ben, you have made more progress in the Superflex Dynasty startup that you were in with uh, some members of the ship chasing community. I was intrigued by how you went through this. You had mentioned that you had taken Brees Hall and you wanted to be a one running back team. I don't think any listener will be surprised that you then took Justin Fields as your first quarterback in round three after you had traded back but then things sort of started to go off the rail. So you're going to have to make a an argument here that you are not like sending your dynasty roster to the Stealing Bananas community and say, "Look, I knew this wasn't the right thing, but I but it it worked. It worked here." Uh, you took Christian McCaffrey in round four, J.K. Dobbins in round six. You did get some really cool wide receivers in between there, and Chris Godwin, Devontae Smith, Sky Moore. There's no ADP too high to take Sky Moore. And then you come back with Pat Fryermuth in the seventh. Maybe you have to wait on him a little bit with the rookie pick, or maybe Kenny Pickett's going to be the key to this team as well as our Superflex team. You know, I want to give you a hard time about this, but Christian McCaffrey in round four does seem like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I didn't want to take him. I mean, we were talking on the show last time when we talked about this startup about what the pick would have been at 211, and I was giving you a few options that included McCaffrey and Cup. Cup ended up going right after that point. McCaffrey, more than a round later. And ultimately, yeah, I stopped this kid. I still took him ahead of DJ Moore and some receivers that I probably should have taken. So was, I was smiling as you were saying, I'm going to have to make the case to the to the uh, Stealing Bananas listeners that I didn't do that. The case for me is Christian McCaffrey still only, I mean, well, he was still only 25 when I made the pick. He's about to turn 26, but. I could tell myself I didn't take a running back that was older than 25. <laughs> I was 25 when you were on the clock. I like that. He's uh, 25 and 351 days now. So I still have two more weeks that I can say that I did not take a running back that was older than 25. He'll be 26 shortly. But it's McCaffrey. I mean, the, the way that I look at it is essentially I think McCaffrey still has at least three good seasons in him. I know he's had a lot of injury issues. I, I'm not – ever comfortable the way that i always like to say it is you don't pay for past running back production right i don't think i actually had to pay for past production here right we got a, a pretty significant discount to what mccaffrey's done the other side of it that we always talk about is as soon as a running back stop stops producing at the level he was you're you're probably just going downhill from there you can't really expect a huge rebound rebound we talked about this with like Zeke going into last year. And I think it's very true of Zeke going into this year again. 
But McCaffrey, when healthy, has continued to produce at a high level. I wrote about it a little bit earlier in the offseason in Stealing Signals, where his points per game were down. He played seven games as all last year. Two of his games, he barely played. He left two of them early. So the other five games he played, and even in one of those, his return from injury, I think he only played like 49% of the snaps, very low by McCaffrey standards. But the other five, his average snap share was like 71%. It was this lower range of, of his workload. A lot of times he's up in the 90% plus range. And people have said McCaffrey's workload is going to come down or it needs to come down or what have you. And then what is he? Well, it, when he was in the 70% range last year in those five games, that was sort of his average snap share. He still averaged over 20 points per game. I don't know. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I think he had four of those five games or over 20 point games had a few 25-point games, and his touchdown rate was way down as well because it's a very small sample. Touchdown rate probably still not going to be good because Carolina's not good. But I still see this as a guy who can be like the one-of-one type player in fantasy any given season. And that maybe doesn't happen in 2022, but I kind of feel like he's still going to have a stretch like that at some point. He's not going to just be hurt. I mean, maybe maybe he gets hurt again in 2022. I don't know. But then I'm probably going to be holding him and he's only 20, you know, 27 now in 2023. I, I I think he still has a shot in 2023 to have that, you know, one of one type of year where he has to be that player. So what you're really trying to say is he's gonna be 26 next summer. Yes, he'll turn he'll no, he'll turn 27 next summer. Right. But but during the window that you're mostly interested in, 26. No, I those are great points. I mean, you look at the things that could happen here, is that A you lose five points per game off your scoring. And the similar thing that we were talking about with Cooper cup, it's like, if you lose five points per game, what are you? Well, you're still the number one player at your position. The other thing is that you lose a pretty big chunk of touches, but I mean, are they going to limit the high value touches? Because one of the great things about Christian McCaffrey is that his stardom is sort of predicated on dominating the most important plays. And so you can remove some of the touches and yeah, it does knock your score down a little bit in part because I mean, Christian McCaffrey is, is not, Jonathan Taylor in that you would expect him to break a lot of 60 70 yard runs but he can create big plays and so you know a a touch from the 20 yard line could go for 30 yards certainly a random play from the 20 yard line could be a dump off pass that he then takes for 25 yards and you get the reception on top of that's three and a half points right I mean you don't necessarily want to lose that opportunity but there are lots of scenarios here where a healthy Christian McCaffrey it, it just you're going to score when you can do what he does it, it's a very unique profile not just because he's a pass catcher but because his ability to run routes and to separate is i mean it's better than any possession wide receiver right so when they use him like that he's completely uncoverable so you just you, you hope that the carolina panthers don't do something that's just patently absurd. That's the only way that you would really hold him down. The other thing here, I think from a dynasty perspective is that we're essentially looking at all running back assets in dynasty from what they can do for you in that year. That's one of the reasons why we have a lot of wide receivers and just, you know, two, three, four running backs. The question then is in terms of how you're paying and how you're setting your roster up, do you have enough overall trade value represented in your roster to take some of these occasional hits on somebody who maybe goes to zero because the trade-off here is the price for production versus the price for a future trade when we're looking at these 21 22 year old backs 
we always talk about play the guy for two years, then trade him still, you know, hopefully near his peak. That's harder for running backs because any running back is hard to, it's hard for him to maintain that trade value. I mean, you got to get very lucky to hit on one of the young backs, play them and trade them. And so for me, it's this question of how much trade value are you willing to give up knowing that, like you said, Christian McCaffrey be 27 going into next season, maybe more difficult to trade him at that point. But even though it's much more difficult, we do see trades going with Alvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, where the person trading them gets something meaningful back. And they're not coming off of what could be a 27, 28 point season that Christian McCaffrey would be coming off of. Or, you know, even if he comes off of a 23 point per game season, that's going to be more dynamic. And with these other fellows, unfortunately, you know, there is the specter of potential suspension. Yeah. So to get back to your original question that, you know, sort of did I take a, a pick that I knew I shouldn't be taking? It's interesting when I was bringing up that point earlier in, in this show i was talking about a lot of picks at one position and you missed the window in this case that was more or less happening at wide receiver it's a very wide receiver heavy draft for all the ship chasing listeners they know that we talk about this sort of wide receiver avalanche that always happens in ship chasing drafts i felt like in super flex tight end premium i was still going to have opportunities to add some wide receiver depth but that was a big reason I took Brees Hall as my first pick. That was at 304. I didn't have a pick in the first or the second round where I, I took Mahomes and then traded out of Mahomes. The, the very next picks were, or next receiver picks were Drake London and Traylon Burke. So it's sort of like I would have, we were at that point already at wide receiver. I would have had to take them straight up over Brees Hall. When I took McCaffrey, you know, Garrett Wilson and Jameson Williams had just gone off the board. I mentioned DJ Moore was still on the board. There were still some very interesting, more veteran receivers, but we were at a point in the draft where I felt like I would have sort of been chasing wide receiver points or, you know, a wide receiver, a wide receiver run. And one of the things I considered with the McCaffrey pick, well, there's a couple things I consider. One is that I still think he gains, can gain value from there, even though he is an older running back, as we're talking about, if he has that type of monster year, if he stays healthy and is still the player that he was, I think I can get a, a better trade value out of him. If he scores year. 25 points per game, you like him above the 402, even in your league that values wide receiver. Right. I think so. I think absolutely. The other big consideration I was having was I think there are scenarios where, and a lot of my league mates listen to the show, so maybe I'm, I'm you know, going to screw myself here, but there's scenarios where I can trade McCaffrey in the regular season or there is a it's a it's a best ball dynasty league, but there's a trade window in season. I maybe could trade him in season in 2022 if he's healthy and producing to a team trying to make a run into you know the postseason. And this is a six league tournament where each of the six leagues, you know, there's one overall champion. People are gonna want to have a lot of firepower. If you have a healthy Christian McCaffrey scoring at a really high rate, I think he's gonna have a lot of trade value in that trade window, which is a little bit later in the year in, uh, in this league. I think it's like week 10 or week 11. So I think there's multiple scenarios where McCaffrey doesn't even make it on my roster into next off season, which is part of why I was okay with the JK Dobbins pick as well, because Dobbins a little bit younger, I think is another one that from where I took him can gain value. I sort of looked at them as independent picks. I'm, I'm still, trying to build the best roster for 2024 and beyond because I do have three first two seconds and two thirds in next year's rookie draft. And so, yeah, these sort of felt like luxury picks, but to me, they're a lot different than what we were talking about earlier in the show where 
I wasn't chasing a run at a position. I was saying this is the position where we're still in the target window where you can get a really good player for a discount because there's been a run at a different position. And maybe this is the best way for me to accumulate value, potentially gain value. It is harder for the running backs to gain trade value. But when you get in a room like this, it's really, really receiver heavy. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks went early as well. McCaffrey, again, went in the fourth round as the RB1, 2, 3, 4, 5, RB6. So there were five others that went. But still, only five running backs through the first three rounds in a dynasty startup. And probably that makes sense. But, you know, like we said, J.K. Dobbins ends up going in the six. You have Saquon Barkley, ETN, Dalvin Cook going in the six, Mixon, Kamara, Chubb going in the seventh. I mean, this is a, a league where running backs are, like I said, like we've both said, are very devalued. And that might make the, the resale or trade market challenging. But I do think these were the players at those specific spots that had this opportunity to actually gain a lot of value, potentially be year one trades. I think McCaffrey has the potential to be valued a lot higher than where I took him in August, basically. If he just gets through the offseason healthy and somebody who's going for it in year one potentially might be willing to give up a lot of future pieces to really build their starting lineup for the first year of this league. And so definitely were considerations that I had, but my in my mind, you know, you can look all the way to the sixth to the seventh round. We're not even into the running back dead zone yet. We're not even into that point yet where now you're chasing that position. Um, it's just a question of, is, is the running back position basically too volatile to build through when you're targeting a 2024 window as sort of your probably first competitive window? We talk about this productive struggle thing. Certainly there's a piece of me as well that's like, well, if I get really lucky, maybe I can compete this year too. So I'm, you know, maybe I was getting a little bit too excited about that and saying, if Hall really breaks out, if Dobbins has the big year that you've been talking about that being very possible, if McCaffrey is that piece now I might have three really good running backs. You know, I'm going to need better quarterback play than I've already built into my roster, but I could potentially have a team that's able to compete in year one plus a bunch of reinforcements in 2023. So I think it's fun. I think it's an interesting way to go through it. That The big question for me that I struggled with was even when a room is really receiver heavy and, and you're kind of doing the productive struggle and you're looking to 2024 and beyond, do you still just not build through running back or when you get a unique opportunity like this to take Christian McCaffrey in the fourth round, is that an okay decision in the sense that he has the most potential probably maybe not, but has close to the most potential to gain value of all the picks that were available to me in that spot? I think so. I, listeners know that I'm probably more addicted to youth in fantasy football than, than anyone. And yet, I mean, running back six for Christian McCaffrey is too low, right? It, it just, I mean, it was a difficult decision for me to move Brees Hall ahead of him as the running back two. Scoring matters, and you're just not going to be able to find a running back that puts those things together in the way that McCaffrey does. You know, could you have a crazy season where someone is very very good and gets an unusual workload from the perspective of they're so good and their team completely goes away from anyone else and their touches are way above what we see in 2022 in terms of running back touches and that's possible and we kind of saw that last year from derrick henry right but 
I mean, and even then, I mean, you need to have someone with crazy talent and a crazy workload to just even get in the vicinity of what Christian McCaffrey can do much closer to a median outcome. And if he has an outlier type season for him to the positive side, you know, again, we're not even necessarily talking about having seen the best of what he could do. I mean, he's got that Marshall Falk 30 point per game, you know, 32 point per game. You talk about priest Holmes at his peak, for example. So I think you have to go with the points. And one of the things too, the, the kind of interesting tension and one of the most fun tensions in dynasty and especially with dynasty trades is that even though wide receivers are going to hold their trade value a lot better, wide receivers need to be what you build through wide receivers are going to score the most points for you as you get through the flex spots all of those things creating a, an environment where you have to build through the wide receiver position, you're going to get a lot of moments within your league in any given year where specific running backs are still going to have the most trade value simply because they are more limited. The scarcity that everybody talks about and sort of incorrectly applied to fantasy for so long. That dynamic does come into play. You, you talk about you know late in the season, maybe there, there are going to be points in time where if Christian McCaffrey is scoring his trade value is just absolutely astronomical simply because there's no other way to get those points into your starting lineup and the lineup matters. Now in a best ball format, like you're doing and you can cover some of those things a little bit, but that's the other mistake people made in best ball for so long is thinking that you can cover up for superstars with volume, right? You, you can't, I mean, you need to have those monster scores in order to have those points in the lineup to win your league. And so from that perspective, I like what you've done we'll see how you build out from here it's really cool to have chris godwin that's almost the kind of weird one there where you're looking at your team with the multiple running backs and it does look like a team that could be very competitive and so you hope that godwin scores some points for you before the second half of the season or scores in a meaningful way i mean he could be out there but maybe not someone who's really contributing to a starting lineup that's exactly right there was a tension there for me but i I decided to continue to focus on the long-term build i mean the way i look at it is even if I don't ever move McCaffrey, I do still think he can be very good in 2024, almost regardless of what happens in 2023. I don't think Christian McCaffrey, I just think he's such a unique player as you just described. His median is almost everyone else's ceiling where even if this year is like really bad for him in any imaginable way, he still looks like a guy who can be productive for me next year. And so then I'm just holding, I guess, and and holding him to zero. But the Godwin pick was with the eye on 2024. He he made some gains in targets per outrun and Evans lost some this year and Evans is quite a bit older. And so you look at that as, you know, Godwin's going to be the guy here in the next couple of years in Tampa, even if Brady's not there anymore. Most of my other picks, I'm still eyeing this 2024 window. I'm not as deep at receiver as I want to be, but with all those 2024 picks, I mean, we, we talked about our rookie draft. There's almost no way I'm leaving that rookie draft without like five more receivers, you know, coming in next year. And so, I mean, that's what I'm going to want to do. And so I'm already telling myself that, well, like this is setting up perfect where next year I'm going to have a need at the position that I'm going to want to draft, you know, and everyone else in my league is going to want to draft it too. They're very wide receiver focused, but I'm going to have a lot of firepower and the ability to do it, to draft a bunch of receivers that I like in the 2023 class. And then it's just, a, I mean, Hall and Dobbins, I can definitely justify, especially at their spots. Dobbins in the sixth round is is pretty easy to justify. And Hall is a guy as a 21-year-old rookie is more of a long-term play. The the McCaffrey pick is the one that stands out the most to what I'm doing otherwise. I tried to do everything else that way 
And then worst case scenario sort of for me is I basically just have McCaffrey's points this year. It hurts my draft pick for next year, which is probably not ideal. But I go into next year and I still actually like what I have in Christian McCaffrey for 2023. And I get to add all this firepower youth. And I think I'm really ready to compete right away in 2023. I agree. I'm excited to see how this plays out. There's no bad team that has Brees Hall and Christian McCaffrey. So from that perspective, you are off and running. But that's going to do it for today's, uh, we'll just keep calling all of them special episodes. I mean, if if you learn one thing, it's that episodes should be special. We did a grab back today. We talked about three different topics I enjoyed all of them. Hopefully listeners got through the initial segment with Clyde Edwards-Lair and Ronald Jones. But I think looking at the Superflex draft, looking at Ben's dynasty draft and the tactics there, both very valuable topics as we go forward. For anybody who did miss the sort of out of the schedule episodes, we did do uh, a two-part FFPC Superflex best ball tournament draft we're hoping to do well in that one. Ben, you and I have some underdog drafts that we have coming up. We're excited for those. If you want to join us on the platform, please use the coupon code ROTOVIZ. When you sign up, that'll get you 100% deposit bonus up to $100. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you sign up for ROTOVIZ. We'd love to have you as readers both of those places. I know you don't want to miss Ben's content this summer, so make sure you Get signed up for the newsletter. You will not regret that. If you want to join us at Rotoviz, you can use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout and get 10% off your one-year subscription. Subscribe to the feed. That way you'll make sure you get those bonus episodes when we do do the live drafts and leave us a rating and review. We always appreciate hearing from you guys. We'll talk to you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.